Um, good morning again. Um, this week we're kind of wrapping up our um, Acts series. And, and, and as we wrap up in Acts chapter 28, one of the things that I was kind of thinking about is this, this duality that's going on when it comes to what it means to be a witness, what it means to testify. And in Acts chapter 28, that's kind of what we learn as, as Luke ends the book. But I was thinking about how as we gather to worship together this morning, it both testifies to the faith we have in Jesus, but also testifies to the fellowship we have with one another. The author of Hebrews reminds us that we are not to give up meeting together. And I love that we have a, a privilege and a blessing and really an honor to be able to, even in the midst of a pandemic, come and worship together. May we never take that for granted. I know one of the things in my faith that, that I've learned to, I don't live with regrets, right? Because Jesus forgives me, right? But one of the things I've learned to really appreciate is the blessing of meeting together. I grew up going to church, so it was like normal for me. It wasn't a big deal. But then when you have that little bit of time that we had where we couldn't meet together, you realize that it is a big deal. And then you realize the sisters and brothers around the world who don't have this blessing and this privilege. So us being here together is a testimony, it's a witness, it's also a blessing. Um, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've kind of framed it this way, right? The church then and now. What we can learn from the people at the early church that, that impacts us now. And if you remember through the whole series, we've learned a lot of things from them. We've learned how the church began, that the, the Spirit comes down and sends us out. We've learned that the church is to heal, to pray, to share, to shine, to evangelize, to redeem, to follow, to welcome, to rescue, to praise, to connect, to support. That's a lot of things that we've learned that we're supposed to be doing. And hopefully we're already doing but as you go through Acts 21 to 28, as I stated last week, this is Paul's farewell tour. And on his final trip, you see the two messages that I believe really emerge is that we as the church are to persevere, which I think always plays to the church. Like God, we win in the end, yes. But until the end comes, we have to persevere. And one of the ways we said we persevere is by encouraging one another, by being home and hospital, by uh, being, being hospitable to one another, by just loving one another. But this week we're going to look at Paul and at the very end here, the, how Luke chooses to end pushes us to this idea that we are to testify. And Paul is really thinking, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to Jerusalem. But yeah, as you go through these journey in these seven or eight chapters, you see that Paul is time and time again called to testify. If you look up the word testify, there's usually this duality I was speaking of earlier, right? Is this idea that we are to give witness, but also we are to be a witness. And so as we think about what it means that the church should testify, what does it mean in your life that you are to give witness? But what does it mean that the God that you serve and worship expects you to be a witness? To not just give evidence of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, but that when the world looks at you, God expects you to be the evidence of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles or if you have the sheet that we passed out, I'll be reading Acts 28. Verses 17 to 31. Acts 28, starting at verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or, or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Peter on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. 
he witnessed to them from the morning till the evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray together. Our Father, my God, we thank you so much for the blessing it is to testify of you. Lord, we pray that you give us boldness, that in our everyday scenes, that in our, the people we meet and the people we interact with, that we are proclaiming who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. That we are not only telling our stories, but telling our stories that, that point to you. God, help us to be a light to the world that lives in darkness. Help us to know that the true light of your kingdom is already shining. Help us to know that heaven always comes down. Help us to know that we are to give evidence of who you are. And help us to be the evidence of who you are as a church. In your holy and precious name, amen. amen. In this passage, we, we, we've been talking about Paul's farewell tour. And what's interesting about this is Paul really imagined that Jerusalem was the end. Paul thought, like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. This is where I'm going to die. I'm going to do it for the gospel. I'm just grateful I get a chance to testify. But something interesting happens in 27 and 28 in Acts. Is that Paul thinks the call is to die, right? Because I'm dying for the gospel. But God seems to think that the call isn't to die, Paul, but to testify. God seems to think that everyone who has breath has work to do. God seems to think that you can't retire from ministry. God seems to think that you can't be like, well, Lord, I have, I, have a, I have three or four kids right now. I just can't serve you the way I'm supposed to serve you. God doesn't seem to think that you're like, well, Lord, I'm a little busy with school. I'm a college student. I can't really serve you right now. God doesn't seem to think there's an excuse to not serving him, to not proclaiming the gospel. And that's the first thing that really shocks us into existence because Paul thinks, yeah, I'm going to share the gospel, but I'm going to die. But God seems to think that as long as you have breath, there's work you should be doing. As long as you're on this side of heaven, you should be pointing people to heaven who is Jesus Christ. And Paul, who thinks the goal is to go and die, God says, no, 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 no. While you live, I'm calling you to testify. And what's interesting is as you go through these seven or eight chapters, you see that Paul's testimony is never held back by his situation. And that's another reason, another important reason why if we have breath, we need to be testifying of the Lord. Think about all the things that Paul goes through, but yet he's still testifying. He goes to Jerusalem, where he's welcomed. And the first greeting crowd that gets there is just like, well, they think you're teaching against, you know, our, our basic faith and tenets. So we need you to, like, actually go through this ceremony so they know you're really a Jew. So he goes through the testimony, and right after that, day, he gets arrested. After he's arrested in Jerusalem, he, he goes before, the, 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 there's a Roman who comes over and takes over the proceedings, and, and they're going to torture and beat him. And he goes, well, yeah, I'm a Jew, Jew, but I'm also like a Roman citizen. You can't torture me. So he thinks he gets out of that one. But this is all the stuff that happens. He has to testify before the Sanhedrin, which is like the group of Jewish scholars. 
After that, you know, he thinks he's in jail. I'm safe for a while. There's a plot to actually kill him. About 40 men gathered together. And they're like, we're going to ambush him. And God just happened to be working that his nephew hears about this. And he goes to Paul and says, hey, um, I think when they're transporting you, they're going to try to kill you. So Paul's like, well, I guess we got to trust the Romans. So he goes to this Roman commander and says, hey, they're actually going to try to kill me. And so Paul has to get an escort from Rome to protect him from his own people. Yet he's still testifying. And he goes to Caesarea with his military crew. And when he gets there, he testifies. The Roman governor Felix comes and he testifies before him. Felix doesn't really find anything wrong with what's going on with Paul. Doesn't want to kill him because he's innocent. Doesn't know what to do. So he goes two years in prison still testifying. After Felix leaves power, there's a new governor that rises up named Festus. Guess what? He testifies before Festus. Still nothing wrong. Then Festus doesn't know what to do with him. So the king of the area comes, Agrippa comes down. Guess what Paul does? He testifies against Agrippa. He goes through shipwreck. In the storm, the God says, no, I'm going to protect all these people. He's shipwrecked in the storm. They land in Malta. He's greeted there with welcome. They heal all these people. Yet, he's still testifying. Paul thought, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. But I love that every step along the journey, he's testifying. And I think that's a challenge to us. Because that means that every step along our journeys, we should be testifying too. Now, we can go back and forth on what this testimony looked like, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But according to the scriptures and according to the life of Paul, and what Luke is telling us is that we have no excuse but to proclaim to our world who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done in your life, and how your God is real. We are to testify and give evidence to who Jesus is, but we are also to be the evidence. And now when we get to chapter 28, Paul's under house arrest. He's renting in this house and he's under a Roman guard. He's still in chains. He's accused. And yet again, he's before the courts. Not just the court of law in Rome or before the Sanhedrin, but also the court of public opinion. Yet and still, Paul reminds us that wherever we are in this life, yes, God is there, but we're to be testifying there too. I love this about Luke because this is how Luke chooses to end the book. And I realized something the first time I read through this, ever since I was a kid, I just didn't like the ending of Acts, right? Like, I'm the type of person who, like, I can read a book, I can watch a movie, I love surprise endings, like, because I spend the whole movie trying to figure it out, I spend the whole book trying to figure it out, so if you stump me, that's a beautiful thing. Like, when I saw the kid say, I see dead people, I was like, ooh, that's good, right? And when I found out who Kaiser Sose was, I was like, well, that's unbelievable. If you don't know who that is, it's like 20 years old, so, like, it's over, right? But the thing is, I love surprise endings, and they're good. But I think what I love more than surprise endings is tying things up neatly in a bow. Like, I really love when things end, and then we're good, right? Like, it's just like, oh, it's over. Everything makes sense. Like, I'm not one of those people who watches movies, and there's all these theories, and you talk about it for hours. I'm just like, I just wasted two hours of my life. Like, I want it to be over when it's over. And, and then, so when I read scripture, like, that's how I want it to be, too. Like, I wanted Luke to just end the story and be like, well, now Paul dies. And we're like, well, we grieved him, but he lived a good life, right? But that's not how he chooses to end it. And there's all these different theories as to why he did it this way. There's some people who feel like Luke didn't know how it ended, so he's like, we're going to end on a good note. You know, like, we're not quite sure what's happened to Paul, but listen, before he died, he's preaching and living out the gospel. That's beautiful. There's some people who think Luke does know how it ends. But he didn't want to put so much focus on Paul's death because he thought that Paul's life was more important. 
right? Like, like, and I think that's actually important for us to do because some of us in the faith, like, we elevate not only death and going to heaven, but people who die these glorious deaths and people who are like these great martyrs of the faith. But Luke seems to think it's not how you die, it's how you live. Right? Then there's some people who, this, this goes back and forth, this is what people do with PhDs, right? They study this and they argue in papers that no one reads, right? But some people actually believe that Luke actually puts Luke and Acts together, because Paul, yes, he's going to go to Jerusalem, but then after Jerusalem, he's going to go to Rome, and as he stands before Caesar, Luke is like, I've researched everything, Paul, here's your case, the book of Acts, right? Like, this is what you're going to do. But what we know for sure is that it doesn't end in Luke 28. Paul's life doesn't end. All we know is how Luke chooses to end the book is to say that while you're living, no matter what's ahead of you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your situation is, are you testifying the way Paul testified? Are you living the way Paul lived? And so in this passage, you see Luke having Paul under house arrest. While he's under house arrest, something interesting happens, right? In every place he's gone before, Jewish leaders have come and accused him. So Paul is like me. It takes a while to learn, right? So after a while, he's like, you know what? When I get to Jerusalem, maybe I should go straight to the Jewish leaders, you know? Before they come and arrest me, let's have a meeting. So he invites them over to his house. And this is interesting because he's still in Roman chains. He's still under Roman guard. He invites these Jewish brothers and sisters and says, I know you're the leaders. And you have to understand that even though sometimes we read scripture and we see Jewish leaders, we think there's like a whole united Jewish dumb, you know, like they're all one together. No, no, no. They're human beings like we are, right? They got denominations too, like a lot of them, maybe too many of them, right? But what Paul's trying to get here is to say, before you accuse me, I want you to know what I'm doing. And what's fascinating to me here is that even though Acts begins, right, with Jesus saying, I want you to go to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. And the whole point that Luke is making is like, man, look how the gospel dwelled in Jerusalem. But look how it goes to Africa. Look how it goes to Asia. Look how it goes to the ends of the earth. Look how it goes and even conquers Rome. But yet he ends with this reminder that Paul grieved his own people. And Paul wanted his people to make that connection between who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And I think that's maybe the first lesson of testifying, right? God may call you to go to the ends of the earth. But God's always going to call you to your people. So whoever your people is, you should be living to point them to Jesus. So Paul invites these Jewish leaders in there and he says, I'm innocent. And he goes through this idea. He basically puts out his case and says, in every place I've been, they've accused me. I've been innocent. The Jews have done it. The Romans have done it. I've done it in Caesarea. I've done it in Philippi. I've done it in Ephesus. Everywhere I go, they've accused me. But I have been innocent. And not only am I innocent, but I'm only doing what the Gospels say. I'm only doing what the Scriptures say. And I love that we as, as, as Christians, we think like the Bible begins in Matthew. And what's interesting here is that Paul is going to use the Old Testament to prove Jesus. He's going to start with where they are. He's going to start with what they understand. He's going to go to the law of Moses. He's going to go to the prophets. He's going to go to what we understand as the Old Testament to point them to Jesus. And after he makes this case, these Jewish leaders are like, well, I mean, this is cool and all, but like, we haven't heard anything bad about you. Which is fascinating, because this is a man who for five, six, seven years has been tortured, beaten, killed, and nothing's heard in Jerusalem, right? They've heard nothing. So we don't know if they're lying or maybe they're just very, very much clueless, right? But they are intrigued by Paul. they like, listen, you're worried that we're going to accuse you of something. We're not here to accuse you. But what is this Christianity thing you're talking about? We want to hear about this Jesus you claim. 
I think that's another thing we learn about testifying is not only are we to go to our people, whoever our people may be, but we are to live in such a way that it points them to Jesus. That when they say, why are you this way? You can't just be like, well, my parents, right? That's also a good answer. You know, like, why are you this way? Blame your parents. That's what you do, right? But why are you this way that you're living to shine a light? Tell them about Jesus. Why are you this way that even though you've been through all this, you're still believing God? Tell them about the Spirit's transformative work in your life. Why are you this way? Tell them about your Father God who's always been there for you, who's always guiding you through, and they're intrigued by this. So Paul testifies by going through the scriptures. And I think something's very, very important here. Jesus spoke to tens of thousands of people. At best, maybe thousands believed, right? He sent out 72. He discipled 12. If you're super liberal, you kick uh, Judas out. He's discipled 11 really well, right? But of the 11, four form his inner circle, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. John seems to be the best friend, the one who gets him. But even Jesus didn't get everyone he testified to to believe. Paul, then, is probably number two on the list. You know, Peter probably gave the most important sermon on Pentecost because that goes out to the whole world and thousands of people believe. But if you look at most of the New Testament, it's written by Paul. If you look at most of the New Testament, it's influenced by Paul who's planting these churches and writing these letters to these churches. So you can probably say Paul is probably the second most important voice, especially in the early church. And here he has people in his house day and night, teaching about Jesus, telling who Jesus is. And only some believed. Most did not. And all of them seemed to argue. And for me, that's a relief. Because I think for some of us, we're so scared to share our lives and what God's done because we're like, what if they don't accept it? What if they don't believe me? If Jesus didn't get everybody, give yourself a break. <laughs> if Paul didn't save everybody, give yourself a break. Your job is not to save, right? Go back to the scriptures. It's the spirit that convicts people. It's Jesus who died to people. And it's the father who saves people. All you have to do is testify and tell your story. Tell your journey. You have the easiest job of all. Just throw it out there and say, God, good luck. Right? You have the easiest job. You actually have to say, this is what God has done for me. And then let God worry about the rest. It's not your job to save anybody. You can't even save yourself. Why are you worried and held back by not saving others? Your job is to testify. Your job is to share what God's done. So Paul shares this. And some believe yes. But most do not. And all of them seem to have a quarrel. And then Paul quotes from Isaiah. But it's not the Isaiah passage that some of us read. You know, we're almost around Advent around the corner, right? It's not the for unto us a child is born. It's not the beautiful passage of Isaiah. It's one that seems very, very condemning. Because he's meeting with Jewish leaders. He's talking to his Jewish people. And this is what he says to them. If you're scared to share the gospel, imagine doing this to somebody, right? You've shared about who Jesus is. They're not sure they believe. And then you read this to them. God called me to go to the people and say, You will never, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For your heart has become callous. You hardly hear with your ears, and you've closed your eyes. Otherwise, you might see with your eyes, and hear with your ears. Imagine that. Not only does he share the gospel, but when they reject him, he says, well, that's because you just can't see. And when I first read this, and when you first go through the book of Acts, it seems like this is a very callous statement. Right? That God sends the gospel first to the Jews and they reject them. And God's like, well, fine, I'll go to the Gentiles. But I think it's actually something more than that. 
Because Paul's proclamation isn't just, oh, it's going to go to the Gentiles. But it's, it came to you first. It can only come to you. And it can only come through you. It was the Jewish people that Abraham come from, but it's who we all are blessed through. It's David, who's the king of all the Jews. It's the Messiah that comes through the line of David, through Mary, but also through his stepdad, Joseph. Jesus comes for his people first. And that's okay. But I think what Paul is trying to say here is that Jesus has come to fulfill the gospel. That it's not bad that Jesus came for his people first. It's only bad if you think Jesus only came for his people. It's only bad if you understand that Jesus coming to save the world is only about you. And I would say that it's funny that the verse we learn to, to bring kids into the kingdom is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his son. But most of us who learn that verse interpret it as what? For God so loved me, he sent Jesus. I think it's very, very fascinating that that's probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. Because it's right there in front of us. For God so loved the world. The Messiah could only come from Israel. But the Messiah has always been for the world. From the promise he made to Abraham wasn't just I will save you and your families, but that all nations of the world will be blessed. From the promise he made to David wasn't just that your Messiah will be on the king one day, but that the Son of God will be on the king over all the nations. The gospel might have gone to the Jew first, but the gospel was always for the world. And then the passage ends, not with Paul's death, but for two years, in Jerusalem, before Rome, he opened up his doors. So you have the stories of hospitality all throughout the book of Acts. And now at the end, Paul, even close to death, gets to open up his doors, invite people in, share life together, proclaim with boldness that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus spoke the world into creation, but he came down and stepped into creation. That Jesus lived and loved to show us how to live and love to please God. That Jesus went to Calvary's tree and died. That Jesus was raised on the third day. That Jesus is up in heaven making it perfect for us. And that Jesus will come back again. But he also proclaimed that the spirit is alive. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that now lives inside of you. And is transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. And he testifies that the God of this universe is not a God who's distant and away, but a God who's right next to you and with you and everything you're through. That's what God calls us to testify of. And I think the biggest lesson in all this is that all of us must be willing to share what God has done. All of us have a story. When I was in college, I went to Messiah. And one of the most fascinating things about Messiah is I would meet these people and be like, my life's so boring. I've lived in the same house my whole life, and I'd be like, whoa, that's amazing. You've lived in one house. I live in one house like 18 months at a time. Like, you've lived in one house your whole life? They're like, yeah, that's boring. I'm like, no, it's not. That's amazing, you know? All of us have a story to tell. And we never know the impact that story will have on others. And even though my life was a little bit wild, to say the least, in my earliest years, I never knew it mattered until I started telling my story in college. And people were like, oh, that's different. I may have lived in the same house my whole life, but that story's different. And I think that all of us have stories. And not only do we have stories, our stories are not to be held, they're to be told. And Luke focuses on the king and the kingdom when it comes to storytelling. If you go back to the book of Luke, it begins with what? The king is born. And it continues with the king has come for the nation. If you go back to the end of Luke, the king, before he goes up and ascends to heaven, says, what? You need to go into the world and tell them who I am. 
locally, nationally, internationally. That's what you need to do. And now Luke ends by saying, I want you to testify that Jesus is king and the kingdom has come. And that's what the book of Acts is about. It's not just the moves of the Holy Spirit. It's how the Holy Spirit moves to teach this world that the king is Jesus, that Jesus has come, and the kingdom is here. Now, another thing we think about testifying, um, a lot of us, or maybe my generation for sure, were impacted by probably two famous quotes. One is real and the other is not, but they're both really good. I'll start with the fake one. The fake one is attributed to St. Francis, but he never said it. None of his biographers ever said he said it. None of his students ever said he said it. I don't know who woke up on a Tuesday morning and said St. Francis said this, but now we think he said this, right? And you know the quote I'm talking about, right? It says, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Francis never said that. He get to heaven, he's going to be like, why did you say I said that? I didn't say that, right? <laughs> but the reason I love that quote is it reminds us that sometimes when we think about testifying, we just think about what we have to say or how we have to articulate, right? And in 2021, it means how we have to argue on Facebook to prove we're right. And we think that's what it means to stand up for the faith, right? There's so many people who are like, America is so far away from God. And some of us are like, when is America being close to God? Like, why are you so worried about America? They stole land that used to enslave people. Like, that's America. Like, why are you worried about that? Worry about the kingdom. Worry about Jesus Christ. Don't worry about losing America. America can be lost. That's not your job to save America. Your job is to tell about the king and the kingdom. Your job is to tell about Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So I love that passage. I love that quote. Because it reminds us that it's not just about what we say. It's how we live. But I think Brendan Manning has another one that's even better than that. And for some of us, it was DC Talk, What If I Stumble, right? We didn't read books back then, right? We listened to music. And then before that, What If I Stumble, it starts with this quote by Brennan Banning. What does it say? The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then go out and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And that quote struck a chord in me as a 13-year-old. Because if someone's going to say the greatest cause for someone not believing God is me, that's something I have to wake up to. If someone's going to say it's not because of what I say, it's how I live, that's something that should change me and impact me forever. But the thing is, for some of us, we make these things polar opposites, right? Like, like okay, so because God needs to show me by my life, it'll be about my life, I won't say anything, right? We, we live in extremes. But here's the thing. You can't preach and testify about Jesus if you don't speak. But if you are to speak, you're also to live. It can't be polar opposites. They have to go together. Because here's the thing. If all of us as Christians just said, you know what, I'm never going to tell people about Jesus. I'm just going to live like Jesus. No one will ever hear about Jesus. And if all of us say, I'm just going to tell people about Jesus and my life is not going to reflect it, no one is going to care about Jesus. It has to be both. Paul in his letter to Timothy sums it up like this. In the presence of God and Jesus, who will judge the living and in the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come 
I find it funny that this was written thousands of years ago and has been true since then and it's true today. The reason we need to preach who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and stick true to what the scripture teaches is simply this. But a time has come when people will not put up with good scripture or sound doctrine. Instead, they will lose it to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's important not only that we live like Jesus, but we actually tell what Jesus has done. That's your work. That's your job. That's your testimony. Because all of us are running a race. And what I love about Paul is that he finished well. And he ends that same passage by saying it like this. For I, Paul, am already poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We must testify, because that is the work of the church. We testify not only by what we say, but by how we live. And we testify not of who we are and how great we are, but who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. And if you're sitting there this week saying, well, how do I testify? One of the things you can testify is by simply telling your story of how God has worked and moved in you. Because it's not your job to save. It's just your job to tell. And one of the things we've said for years now is that if this world doesn't know what God's love feels like, that's not God's fault. The Spirit is alive. It's our fault. Because we're not bridging the gap. We're not only to be the voice of our Christ. We're to be what his love feels like, what his love looks like. We're not only to say we believe in Jesus and we want you to believe in Jesus. We're to point people to Jesus by how we live, by how we love. Sisters and brothers, are we willing to testify in a way that says it doesn't matter what situation I'm in. It doesn't matter what struggles I'm going through. I will not be held back by my fear. I will simply live Love and tell the story of what God has done. Amen? Amen. We end our service this morning with communion as you came in. Hopefully you got some elements. If not, I think we still have some on the back table there. Um, today is World Communion Sunday, which is a bigger deal when we're inside because we can put a PowerPoint and see people having communion from all these different cultures. Um, but we're going to use it in our mind today, right? One of the things I love about World Communion Sunday is because it reminds us not only that we come to the table or we come to the table together as HBIC, but it reminds us that we come to the table as Christians all around the world. We come to the table remembering who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. We come to the table grateful. So I invite you to come to the table this morning together. But as we come to the table, I want you to just enjoy the sweetness of the truth that sisters and brothers around the world are at the table with you too. In the next moments, we'll be sharing in communion together, celebrating the new life we have in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake of the bread of the cup. Hopefully you got your stuff at the end, or if you're not, you're ready to go. As you receive them, if you're at home, hopefully you have crackers and tea or something.
As you receive them, we ask that you hold them until we're ready to go and we'll lead you through the whole service. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's reward, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you so much for this witness, for how this wafer, this bread, this biscuit, this cup, this bread, whatever we're using at home, it's a reminder of your body which you freely and lovingly and willingly gave for us. Lord, we thank you that this witnesses, it testifies of what you've done, of who you are. And God, we pray that as we partake this morning, we're reminded with sisters and brothers who sit at this table with us. We're reminded of sisters and brothers who come in history and dwell at this table with us. We're also reminded of your goodness, that your sacrifice has made us able to come home again, that you being broken has healed us, that you dying has given us a chance to live. We thank you for your love for us. In your holy and precious name, amen. I think on your papers you have the responsive reading. Um, if you don't, what you'll say is, this bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. You'll get it. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing, and he told his disciples, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promise, your covenant, your faithfulness to us, Lord. Uh, that you began when you paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. Lord, we know we don't deserve it, but we are grateful for it. And um, Lord, we commit as we as we take this cup into us, Lord, a, a symbol of you coming into us, Lord. Um, would it move us to look like you, Lord, to testify of you? Lord, we just thank you for for paying this price for us. Amen. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take this cup, remembering that he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful.
and then I think we're going to pass out baskets um, so you can put your cups and trash in. Um, we're going to end singing a song, Cornerstone, that might be familiar to some of you. And as we sing this song, as we worship through song, may we be reminded that Jesus is indeed the, the stone the builders rejected. That stone the builders rejected has become the foundation of not only our faith, but of us coming home again. Of not only us coming home again, but us getting a chance to invite others in to the kingdom as well. May we live not only knowing that Christ is the cornerstone, but living to point others to the foundation that is Jesus Christ. For the Lord came not just to save you, but to save the world. And what a blessing, what a privilege, what an honor that you get to partner with the Holy Spirit. You get to partner with God of this universe to bring others home too. Let's stand and sing together. Um, pastors are going to be up front. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you as well.
Jesus, in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.